Let's just pray together. Let's pray. Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you're here among us. We want to thank you, Lord, that you desire to be part of our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you want to feed us not only physically but spiritually. You want us to be strong. Lord, you want us to take in all that you have to give so that, Lord, when we do go out to the world that we'll have so much to share. So, Lord, we ask that you would help us now to give our hearts and our minds and ourselves completely and utterly to you. Lord, by your Spirit, we pray that you would speak to each and every one of us because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin this morning just by reading verses from Scripture. So I just want you to listen and to take them in and pray that God would speak to you through them. The first reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all trouble, so that we can comfort they who are in trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So God wants to give so that we can give also. Just as the suffering of Christ flows over our life, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. And then from Isaiah, for the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. And lastly, from Hebrews, for we do not have a high priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we have been tempted without sin. I wonder if you've ever heard of a man called Wolfgang Kehler. He was a a very famous German psychologist who um, was alive just before the war. And his interest was in human perception. His interest was in how we see things and the way that we respond when we are stimulated in that way. I want to show you a photograph, uh, a kind of drawing that I did. It's called the Keller Cross. Now I want you to have a look at it. And the first thing that will probably stand out is the white background. The white background. It is in the shape of a Maltese cross. But the more I hold it up, the more the white part will fade and the dark part the St. Andrew's cross will take over. And Keller says that when we look at something long enough, we begin to understand it in different ways. Like that, the white background slowly fades and the the black ground becomes um, more real. And Keller is saying it is important for us to understand the way that we look at things. Because the way that we look at things make them real or not. 
Now I want to share another photograph with you. So what do you see in this photograph? Probably the first thing you see is a goblet or a cup. But the more that you look at it, the more that the cup will fade into the background and you will see two people meeting each other or seeing each other face to face. Now you might be asking what's all that about. Well today we come to share communion. We come to remember what communion is all about. We come to take the cup which represents the the blood and the bread which represents the body of Christ. We come because Jesus commanded us to do this when he says, do this in remembrance of me. But one thing that we need to be careful about as far as communion is concerned is that this ritual, and it is a ritual that we go through and there's nothing wrong with a ritual. The problem sometimes that we have is that the ritual becomes so familiar that we forget what the whole communion is about. We need the ritual, but we have to see beyond the ritual. Look again and see beyond the cup to what communion is about. The communion is about meeting Jesus Christ face to face. A wonderful opportunity for you and I to look beyond the ritual and have this wonderful experience of seeing and meeting Jesus face to face. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that wonderful that we have that opportunity? If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to John, sorry, John chapter 19. John chapter 19. And this is what God's Word says to us. We're going to read from verse 28. Later knowing that all was now complete, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was a day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may believe. 
These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And another scripture says they will take, uh, they will look on one that they have pierced. And we'll pray that God will bless that reading to us. Here's a story. And it's a true story. And you may find it a strange story. And the background is Miriam and I. And we're in a place called Kabul. We have been there a few weeks and our practice is that each morning we pack a bag the night before, get our daddy books in the bag, put a snack in the bag, and then first thing in the morning we go to learn daddy, which is the language of Afghanistan. That's the background. <coughs> And the question is this, I wonder if any of you have ever tried to convince a mouse not to worry? Anybody ever tried to convince a mouse not to worry? I wonder if you've ever succeeded in trying and pacify a panicky rodent. If you have... You are a wise person. My attempt at trying to pacify a panicky rodent ended in complete and utter failure. My comforting words to this rodent seem to fall on deaf ears. Now this little fella that I was speaking to didn't deserve my kindness. It didn't deserve one piece of kindness from me. For two reasons. First of all, it has scared the living daylights out of my wife. And my wife is most precious to me. And anything that crosses my wife crosses me. The other reason why it didn't deserve any kindness was this. It had eaten my precious chocolate and if people know me they'll know what Cadbury's milk chocolate means to me and if they know Afghanistan where you can't get chocolate anywhere you would know how precious a bar of Cadbury's milk chocolate could be just before we were due to waken up we were woken up by this rustling sound and we got up out of bed and we looked and looked and looked and we found the rustling sound was coming from Miriam's pack bag. And in Miriam's pack bag there is a netted piece where she had put the chocolate. And in the chocolate, in that netted piece was not only the eaten chocolate but the trapped mouse. Now if that mouse had eaten my language daddy book I would have given it a feast, but it ate my chocolate instead. And it was caught, and it was shaking like a leaf. It was actually one of the most beautiful little mice I've ever seen. It had a beautiful um, <coughs> brown shiny coat. Miriam said to me, Rab, what are you going to do? 
And as she said it, she was holding on to my arm and I felt, a real hero, here I am. I can show Miriam and get a few more brownie points from her. And so I said to Miriam, this is a true story by the way, it really happened. I said to Miriam, I would go easy on this little chap, even though it ate my bar of chocolate. So he and I went out to the garden and down um, the garden was a little dump and I took the mouse down there and on the way I tried to comfort this little mouse. You know I said to him, hey little fella if you stick with me in no time at all you'll be home amongst your family and friends. Did that mouse listen to me? It did not. I said, I'm going to release you. You got yourself into this mess, but I am your saviour. I'm going to get you out of this mess. Did that calm that little mouse down? Not one little book bit. He shook even more. Did he trust me? Not at all. Anyway, we got to the dump and I opened the bag and the mouse was free. And I'm standing waiting, thinking that the mouse might stop and say, Thanks, friend. How about coming down and meeting the family? How about spending some time together and getting to know each other? Not a word of thanks came from that mouse. It shot off like a rocket. And you know what? I've never, ever heard of it since. What would it have taken for me to gain the trust of that little mouse? Would it have meant that I would have had to learn mousy language? Would it have meant that I had to grow whiskers more than knees and a tail? Would it have meant that I had to go down to the dump where that mouse lived and get to know it? Well, thanks, but no thanks. Even if it did eat my lovely bar of chocolate, I wasn't willing to go to those lengths to get to know that mouse. But there was one who went to great lengths, far more than I would have needed to learn to get to know that mouse. There was one who went to great lengths to get to know me and you. And there was one who took a far greater journey from where I stood maybe to the dump. There was one who took a journey from heaven to earth to get to know you and me. Why? Why was Jesus willing to come to this earth? And the other question that I have is, why? Did he have to stay so long? Why? Why did Jesus take that journey? And sometimes we take it for granted that it was easy for him to come from the heavens above to this earth. But my friends, it's more, it would be more difficult and harder for him to do that than ever for me to get to know that mouse. Why did he come? He came quite simply. So that you and I would learn to trust him. So that you and I would be able to get to know him. 
I've often wondered, couldn't his life here on earth been a little shorter? Why could he not have just stepped into the world just long enough to die for our sin and then leave? Why not one sinless week here on earth? Then go to the cross, die on the cross, then be resurrected and go back to heaven. To die and to take my sin upon himself, I can begin to understand it, but to take everything else, a whole lifetime of pain and suffering on himself, to experience death was necessary. But to put up with life here on earth, that's a question that has always been in my mind. Why did he suffer these long journeys that he and his disciples took? Why these long days of putting up with disciples that never really understood him till after Pentecost? Long days with a group of guys who seemed to argue more than they got on. Why on earth did Jesus do it? And the answer, again, is quite simple. Because he wanted me, and because he wanted you, to trust him. Even in that final act on earth, that that we've just read, was there and was intended to win my trust in your trust. Listen to what we read. <laughs> Later knowing that all was now complete, and so that the scripture might be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In that last and final act, the act of a man that was thirsty, through that thirst, through that sponge, he's saying to you and to me, Are you listening? I love you. I really do love you. And to show that I really do love you, look at the lens that I have been willing to go to show that love. Just try and picture it. Jesus is thirsty. Sometimes we don't get the full meaning of that. But if you look at it from other parts of scripture, his lips were literally cracked dry. His mouth... It seemed as it was full of cotton wool. His throat was dry that he couldn't swallow. The voice was hoarse because he had no spittle left. He was thirsty. To find the last time moisture had touched his lips. You have to put the clock back over 12 hours. You have to go back to the meal that he shared in the upper room. That was the last time that liquid crossed his lips. From then, 
Are you listening? Jesus had been beaten, beaten and beaten to the bone. Why? Because he wanted you to trust us. He had been spat upon. He had been bruised and cut. He had been a cross carrier and a sin bearer. No liquid had crossed his dry throat. Jesus was thirsty. But here's the thing, he endured the thirst. He endured the thirst. Wasn't it he who made the water into wine? Wasn't it he who calmed the storm and stilled the waves? Wasn't it he who the scripture says will turn the deserts into pools of living water? Why did Jesus endure the thirst? He had the power not to. And while we're on it, why did he endure so much? Didn't he grow weary in Samaria? And that word in the Greek, weary, he was dead beat. He was on his last legs. Wasn't he deeply disturbed when he went into Nazareth and that place that he had grown up to see how people rejected him? Wasn't he angry with the people in the temple, the courtyard? We're told that he wept, that he was hungry. He went through every emotion that we went through. Why put himself through all he did? And the reason is because this day, 2014, here in Moodysburn, he wants to remind me and he wants to remind you that you can trust him. You really can trust him. If we are ever going to convince a world out there that Jesus is worth taking into their lives, then we first of all need to be convinced ourselves. Wouldn't it be sad if we had a saviour who didn't understand? Wouldn't be terribly sad if we had a saviour who said, well, Robert, I can sympathise with you, but I can't empathise. But you see, Jesus can, and he does. And Jesus wants us to put our complete and utter trust in him. And we're better to do that is when we meet him face to face at the table in a few minutes time to renew that trust to say Jesus I'm ready now I've been challenged there's a world out there <coughs> Billy Graham has come he's given us the opportunity I want to put my trust in you again a trust that will want me to go out to tell others to put their trust in you also Jesus fulfilled the scripture to show how much he loved us he was betrayed by a friend he was forsaken by his disciples he was falsely accused he was silenced before the judges he was included with the sinners he was crucified he was mocked by spectators 
He was taunted by the non-believers. His very garments were gambled for. He prayed for his enemies. Not a bone in his body was broken. He was buried in a rich man's tomb. And so I could go on and on and on. They tell me that 332 distinct prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus fulfilled right to the last T. It cost. It cost him so much. But he wanted to show and remind us this morning that he did it because he wants our trust. You know, a beggar won't go to another beggar and ask for help. A drowning man won't go to another drowning man to ask to save him. A pauper won't go to another pauper and say, give me some bread. They all know that they need someone bigger and stronger than they are to bring them out of their situation. And Jesus' message in the bread and in the wine is simple as it is profound. My friend, you can trust me. Fully and utterly. Behold, he said, I stand at the door and knock. Will you come? Will you sit down? Will you sup with me? Will you meet me face to face? And what a wonderful experience it is then to go and share that with someone out there. Beware! It will cost. Miriam and I are new to where we live and we've been asking that opportunities will open up for our next door neighbours. And it's been amazing the opportunities that have opened up and where these opportunities have taken us so that we could say to these people, I trust in Jesus. In a minute we're going to be coming around the table. And the challenge is this. Very simple. Renew your trust. Meet him face to face. And then when you meet others out there, they will not see you. They will see the person that you met. Does that you want that? Yes! No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. You want the yes! This is the gospel! The good news of the Lord Jesus Christ.